Hello there and welcome one final time to our broadcast preview podcast, although this one is named the Season Review Podcast, where we talk about just about everything in what was a fabulous 2019 campaign for Minnesota United. All things Minnesota United coming your way over the next hour or so. Callum Williams joined, as always, by Kendra D. St. Aubin and Jamie Watson. We'll talk about Minnesota United's historic run into the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup final, into the playoffs, amongst much more as well. So, let's get straight into it, shall we? Um, Kendra, let me ask you, coming into 2019, obviously there was a, a new expectation for Minnesota United, many people suggesting that it had to be playoffs or heads would roll. That meant they had to go out and get some of the bodies that they did in order to make them challenge in the way that they did. Lots of new bodies coming in, and it's exactly what Minnesota United needed. Well, and I think we had that expectation and and they exceeded my expectation and how the 2019 season went, not because they made the playoffs. I expected that, but also we also know how difficult this league is and how difficult MLS is. And you get all these new bodies and you get this beautiful new stadium, but you don't necessarily know how the players, the coaching staff, everybody in Minnesota United would handle that pressure and that stress. So exceeded my expectations, the bodies that they acquired and specifically Ozzy Alonso and Ike Parra were absolutely key. And of course we can't get, forget Vito Minone. So to me exceeded my expectations. And I think that, you know, they got off on the right foot and then we just kind of thought, let's go on from there. Jay, there was so much needed in the off season and credit where credit's due to the people that make the signings. They got it completely right this year. Uh, no, they did. It was it was by far and away the best window in which Minnesota United had as far as acquiring players, both domestically and internationally. And the biggest tell for me was those first couple of games on the road because you it's one thing to go find some good players and, and to bring in a collection of good players. But when you ask those players to come together in a starting role, with so many changes, and in particular, through the spine of your team. That's really where the the meat and potatoes of your lineup really consist of and where the frailties may start to be exposed and where the strengths may start to shine. And I think Minnesota United found a collection of players that were both very good on the field but also had a very good understanding and character about them that really was the difference maker and why the group came together so quickly. And they were tested with a very difficult schedule to start the season off. So mind you, if we would have said there's going to be wholesale changes uh, to the group and there's going to be five different starters on day one than what you probably would have expected from when 2018 ended, and you're going to have five games on the road to start, you might have been a little bit weary of that. And there was some apprehension, I think, going into the season. How is this going to go? Very quickly, this team proved they kind of set the tone for what 2019 was going to be going forward in that first spell of road games to start the season off. Yeah, we'll talk about those road games here shortly. Uh, first, though, Kendra, Jamie mentioned it there. The spine of the team really, really changed for Minnesota United. And that meant a mentality change, not only on the field, but off the field as well, particularly in the locker room. Well, and I think that the biggest thing is that they brought in these veteran leaders that had been there, done that, and, and players that have been in this league for a very long time in Ozzy Alonso and Ike Parra. And I think that is, as this season, as the league has gone on year after year, and a, a plethora of really solid international players have come into the fold and into this league, people still can't underestimate the importance of the MLS experience that playing in this league, been there, done that in this league, won at this league, in this league, at this level, because it is different than any other league in the world. So I think that you have to find the right combination of MLS veteran leadership, Aiko Parra, Ozzy Alonso, mixed in with that international quality and all these questions about Ozzy Alonso and young Gregush. How are they going to partner up? How are they going to pair up in a very important position on the field in that central midfield role? And it took time. It took time to develop and it took time to kind of figure out where they belonged and, and who was doing what on any given day. And I think that we could all agree that it ended up being a success, but it takes the pieces of MLS veteran leadership mixed with the international quality that Minnesota United was able to acquire and put together, and it only got better as the season went on. Two examples of MLS stalwarts and international experience combining, Jay. 
Ozzy Alonso and Jan Gregus in the centre of midfield, but then also Michael Boxall alongside Ico Parra as well. I, I don't think it's wrong in saying that Minnesota United had have never had a more sterner spine. No, you're right, and, and it was evident, and I think that it started showing itself when they were able to really win midfield battles and then be resolute in defending the box um, when crosses would come in and, and against superstar forwards because if you look through basically every playoff-bound team, they have one guy that's got 15 goals in them, 20 goals in them. Some of them have 30 goals in them. <laughs> and those two, the combination of it, you never quite worried fully Maybe apart from Vela, maybe Zlatan gave you a little bit of worries. But even when you look at the Atlanta game against uh, the one in, um, I believe it was May, mm-hmm. 3-1 ended up being the final. Joseph Martinez will have two goals on, on the day, and you'll look at that and you'll go, wow, he's got two. Typical Joseph, right? But for 89 minutes, he was invisible in that game. Yes. Michael Parra and Michael Boxel away at Atlanta did a brilliant job of shutting him down. Now he gets one late on, and then Michael Parra has a backwards header that goes back to him, puts him in on a breakaway when he's 15 yards the other side of midfield. So, you know, there, there's there's three guys we named. All, by the way, all three that are best 11 players. You look at the rest of the team. The all other, three in the MVP race. Exactly. <laughs> other, of the other 20 teams mm-hmm. um, in the league, you never worried when you had Boxel next to Opara and then just in front of them, Ozzy Alonso and Jan Gregush. So I think Minnesota United put a real focus on the center of the field both center backs and center midfield, and it paid massive dividends this year. And, you know, we rode the roller coaster with everybody else that's Mm -hmm. listening to this. Chances are, if you're listening to the season review podcast in Minnesota United, you're very much knee deep in it like we are. And with that, we didn't quite know fully how it was going to go. I think we were a little bit more certain about Ozzy Alonso and Ike Opara, but the question mark going into the season was, can Michael Boxel make that next jump and be a real elite defender in this league? And what's Jan Gregor's adaptation to MLS is going to be? Both of those guys answered those questions with flying colors. Boxel by OptiJack standards, which if you don't know what that is, it's one of the highest form of analytics that the soccer world uses to break down different aspects of the games, whether that's passing, whether that's duels, whether that's um, challenges made, uh, expected clearances, all these crazy over-the-top um, things that IBM Watson, no relation, uh, will use to d- determine who's really analytically one of the best defenders. Michael Box was in the best 11 for it. So that's that's science. I mean, that's math right there, <laughs> showing that he's uh, he was a great defender. And then, obviously, Michael Parra wins Defender of the Year. And, oh, yeah. To complete that spine, the cherry on top, we haven't even mentioned his name yet, Vito Minone, nope. MLS goalkeeper mm-hmm. of the year. So it went from strength to strength on the middle of the field, and that's really why I think this year Minnesota was so good and above the playoff line the entirety of the 34-week MLS season. I think I think really quickly I just want to say that this is the one case maybe in a, in a lineup or in a roster and where predictability is a good thing. When your teammates alongside you, and I think that was part of why Michael Boxall had such a fantastic year is, and Ike Opara, because you knew what your teammates were going to do alongside you. You could predict what they were going to do, and that is a good thing when they are your teammates in your center back position or sitting right in front of you of Ozzy Alonso. You knew what you were going to get game in and game out. And there's something to be said when just trusting your teammate who is alongside of you or just in front of you or just behind you and Vito Minone in the most important positions on the field in that spine, the predictability and the trust that they had within each other, knowing that they knew what they were going to get game in and game out. Uh, let's not skip over him as well. As you mentioned, Vito Minone. Um, look, I think it's safe to say there were people who quite rightly had questions when he came in because he was essentially third choice at Reading in the English second division through no no fault of his own. You know, sometimes managerial changes and shifts mean that players drop down the pecking order because simply managers don't fancy them or Mm -hmm. there's been a falling out or or what have you. Um, But he's more than proven Kindra that he's capable of playing at this level. Absolutely. And I think, again, once again, for me, it's of course about the saves that he's supposed to make. And Adrian Heath talked about that a lot in post-game talking about, hey, wow, Vito was fantastic today. And he's like, yeah, well, he made the saves that we expect him to make, which is a good thing because he's a goalkeeper of that caliber. That is the expectation you have for him. But for me, once again, it's about his leadership qualities. Of course, he's positionally, he's in the right spot. He's making the saves. He's diving right and left. 
he's organizing the wall, he's organizing the back line, but it's also about his leadership ability, his organizational ability, his communication. And again, that trust factor for me is so important. The chemistry that that back line had with Vito Minoni, I just, I don't think you can underestimate what that means for this team. Uh, Manone uh, was absolutely wonderful and uh, he gave us a taste of what he was all about in the opening game away at Vancouver Whitecaps because let's not forget it though it seems like a decade ago now Minnesota United started with five games on the road they started in Vancouver where they won and Adrian Heath knew exactly what was coming well I expected it before the game I said to you that we've had a really good preseason it's the best group of players we've had by a long way all that today a lot of controlled possession had two or three great chances to kill the game off gave another poor goal up in the second half but in general i thought the attitude of the players was magnificent and i thought some of the play was really good the two lads in the middle of the park dominated the whole game really and uh, it gives us a lot to work with we know we know we're near the finished article but we're on the right way we've got some good pieces to work with now what that did jay was psychologically Let's not forget in 2018, Minnesota United was simply awful on the road. Just one away win all season. What that did straight away for the Loons was it got rid of whatever the monkey was on the back and it made them realize that actually you can go and win on the road in this league. And what I think the difference between all of us and maybe some fans that have been supporters of Minnesota United through the road woes in 2017 and 18 and the t players that were on the field to start that game and start, start the season in 2019 was that was the difference was when we gave this, the goal in the, uh, I say we, the three of us weren't on the field. When Minnesota United gave up a goal six minutes in to Eric Godoy, we started thinking as broadcasters, oh no, here we go here again. We go and again. I'm sure a lot of people at home listening to this right now or in your car, wherever you may, this may find you, you start thinking, oh boy, on the road again, down six minutes in. But it was a completely different group with a completely different mentality that's much stronger to say, okay, it's one goal with 84 minutes to go. Let's go again. And they rally back. They get three goals to make it 3-1. And then Minnesota United concedes in the 81st minute, uh, I believe, to Daniel Henry. Um, and then it goes 3-2, and you get your first road win. And we were talking with everybody afterwards in the, you know, the hotel lobby, as we do. And it was one of those that... Adrian saying, guys, this isn't this isn't the same group. I know everybody else expects it to be the same thing year over year, but we've seen this group and we know this is a different team. And what they got a glimpse of through the course of preseason and in that first 90 minutes at BC Place in Vancouver, I think there was still a very sensible air of skepticism from people that are supporters of Minnesota United. Hey, it's it's one win. Let's not say we're the greatest road team ever, but when you backed it up with another one the following week, and we'll talk about it, you know, as you said in just a moment, about the the the, the five-game road stretch that really defined the beginning of the season, it was because it was a different group of players that didn't carry over the negative mentality that maybe we were all guilty of still having to some degree. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. I, I think as well, if that was 2018, I completely agree with this, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. In 2018, Kendra, had that have happened the heads would have dropped completely. A hundred percent. And I think you had players like Ozzy Alonzo and Ike Parra picking the ball out of the net and saying, instead of, oh man, we allowed to go in the fifth or sixth minute. Instead, they're looking at it half, you know, glass half full. We've got 85 minutes to make this up. We've got 85 minutes to turn this thing around and get the W on the road to start the season off in a positive light. And I think that is the difference in the mentality in this locker room, in this group, in this belief that all they know is how to win in that core group of players. And so, yes, I, I mean, I know I absolutely looked at you in the booth with a look of like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. All this hype during the pregame show, everything we've done to talk hmm. about the off season and the preseason. And here we go again. And instead they proved, they proved me wrong for sure because it could have gone either way. And I, thank goodness it went the way it did. Can I just say as well, my right arm is very much looking forward <laughs> to the off season because it won't be black and blue. Well, you have been working out now it. so you can, so you can withstand my slap and punching during, during the game. Kendra beats me in the booth. It's terrible. <laughs> Which is tough because our booth at Allianz is all glass. You're right. So everybody can see it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Police will be coming for you. Um, right. So uh, Minnesota, as we mentioned, continued on this five-game road stretch to start the season. And 
did very, very well, uh, impressed by getting nine points from the first five, Jamie. Um, and as I said, then, I think a lot of people around the country then sort of started to think, actually, this is a very, very different group. Well, you finished essentially very close to a third of your road games before you even had your first home game. You know, 17 road games in to uh, totality over the course of the season. You got five of them done right there, and you've got nine points from that. I mean, that was three wins after those first five games on the road. And you go through the rest of the league, you start saying there's one, two, three, four, five, six of the bottom teams in the West only had three wins in the entire season on the road. And they had it through their first five games on the road. Same on the East. You had, you know, four different teams that only had three wins on the road. So, I mean, it goes to show just how important that stretch was, how make or break it could have been because Minnesota United were above the playoff line going into the home opener. And I know mentality wise that shifted and that changed a lot of things. And confidence is a funny thing because you can't fake it because you get found out over the course of the season. The season's too long to sit there and try to put on a brave face and be like, we're, we're better than we are. Well, no, you'll get found out very quickly, but this group really grew in that confidence and started to find it through that stretch. Then they get to open up Allianz field. Then you have a stretch of games at home where the schedule starts to even out. Adrian kept saying, let's see where we are when the home games and the road games even out. I believe it was like seven and seven. They're there, thereabouts where it was going to be between seven road games and seven home games. And Minnesota United were sitting, I think fourth at the time when that stretch ended and he started to go, okay, here we are. Now we're getting somewhere with this. And we've got a real sense of confidence and optimism about the season. And we're well on our way. And um, I think the shift in the mindset of the fans within the walls of Allianz Field and in and around the Twin Cities in the state of Minnesota, the whole image of Minnesota United went from what it was previously to what it is currently. And that's one of, you know, we expect to win every game. And do you remember the feeling when, a road game would come and go and Minnesota United didn't win and how upset the fans were about that. I know we hear about it as broadcasters. People think sometimes taking their frustration out on our Twitter feed is the best route, which is all, all well and good. We welcome every sort of interaction, but you really actually felt good about that when you left a road game going, man, Minnesota United didn't win today. We're actually kind of pissed off about it. Mm. Yeah. The standards certainly rose, didn't they? Um, and in one area where the standards have risen across the league once again is another sparkling new stadium. Um, so let's go into this, shall we? Allianz Field, I, I think a lot of people, um, particularly someone like yourself, Kendra, who, who is from this part of the country, followed soccer for a long, long time. Loads of people had waited a lifetime for this. And April came along. And I think the opening day of Allianz Field was everything anybody expected was going to be. Well, it did. And, you know, in Minnesota fashion, in true Minnesota fashion, of course, there was a blizzard and they had to <laughs> shovel off snow and there was piles of it on the sides of the field. And it wasn't the snowball of 2017, but still it had this Minnesotan feel to it. And when NYCFC was coming in for that opener, I think that there was this just sense of pure joy and excitement among the Minnesota fans, knowing that this is your home. And I, I still hearken back to what Manny Lago said when the stadium opened, every interview he's done since, that it's hard for him to believe that it is just down the road from his house. This beautiful state-of-the-art stadium, the best in North America, in my opinion, is just down the road from his house, knowing how long he's been involved as well with, with Minnesota soccer. And you cannot ask for anything better. Any person that has been in that stadium, in and around it, never seen a soccer game maybe in their life, or they're a diehard fan and have been to Europe and every stadium over there, they will rave about Allianz Field and how fortunate and lucky to have this in our backyard where Minnesota United plays their home games. And I was just at a school yesterday and all the kids there knew exactly what I was talking about because their school is in St. Paul. And they were like, I was like, you can't miss it. 94 and Snelling. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, one of the kids in the class is a season ticket holder and him and his family sit in the supporter section and he's you know, like a fifth grader and they absolutely love it. So very, very special place. And really you can't say enough about the home field advantage that has been created there. And I think the building became a home as well, very, very quickly, uh, courtesy of the first ever goal from Ozzy Alonso, um, a wonderful moment. And I think it's safe to say a moment none of us will ever forget. And again, for the galloping Metanier. 
Rodriguez. Ozzy Alonso scores the first ever goal at Allianz Field. To scenes of immense joy and a wonder wall of noise. Commentary coming from the supreme John Champion there and uh, a fabulous finish from Ozzy Alonso, Jay. And, and they're just... It felt right. It felt like this was meant to be a player of his ilk, bringing his talents to Minnesota, and it just so happened that he was the player to score the first goal at Allianz Field. It was um, a moment in which I guarantee everybody listening here probably remembers where they were when it happened and yeah. the feeling that it evoked, that emotion that, that just poured out when the ball at the back of the net to take the lead and, and get the first goal in your stadium. And, and that's when a house became a home it really started to feel like this beautiful gorgeous state-of-the-art world-class house was now a home because it had character it had the first goal it had that emotion it had um the goal celebration it had joyous raptures where you're losing it with the people you may or may not know next to you and um it was a, a moment which i'll never forget in my career and it's you know spanned over the course of a decade and a half now and i know exactly that that feeling it gave and even hearing the commentary hearing john champion's commentary your commentary on i thought you did it incredibly well the justice of the moment with ozzy alonzo scoring callum but you can't understate the importance of what dr bill mcguire has done here um, for being in the locker room the moment we thought minnesota soccer was dead in the water to being told that this new owner, Dr. Bill McGuire, has these big plans. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I thought this was ever part of the plan. Mm. No one did. This wasn't supposed to happen. Minnesota soccer has never had something this nice. And it's real. And, and he's um, done the history of soccer in this state absolute justice. Um, surpassed it in every form or fashion that you could have ever imagined. The legacy Dr. Bill McGuire has will span across several different ventures, but the legacy in soccer that him and the other ownership group um, built with this stadium, privately funded in the Midway neighborhood, will live well past all of us being here because that stadium will be something that people pilgrimage to, in a mm -hmm. sense, to go see it for themselves in 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years. And... Um, so that goal was was the start of something special. And I think that was, you know, we all knew that that was the first page being written in the history books of what Allianz Field will be over the course of close to the next century. Yeah. A stadium that is utterly pristine as well, Kendra. It's not like they've just built a stadium and plopped it in the middle of St. Paul. They've put time and care and effort and a lot of money into this as well. Well, and if you talk to Dr. McGuire, even now, he's continuing these constant meetings about developing the area around the stadium. This is like a true revitalization of an area of St. Paul. And it's not just like you've plopped it in and you've just left it there. I mean, and we can, we've all probably been in stadiums like that in other places and even... You know, you you talk about where the White Sox play. If you've ever been where the White Sox play in Chicago, it's like in this area that no one is going to go to unless you're going to the game and then you're leaving. And and the developers there didn't really truly appreciate that. This is going to be turned into something that is a destination, not just on game day. This is going to be a destination and a revitalization of that whole area. So even when you go outside of Allianz Field, there is meticulous attention and detail paid to every single aspect, not just of the how it looks, but of how it was created, of how it was made, of protecting the environment, of the, you know, everything about how they use the water to how the, the screen is on the outside. It's just every single detail was taken care of. And the most important aspect for Dr. McGu Bill McGuire and the ownership group was the fan experience and the neighborhood. That was a clear point of emphasis for them, is taking care of the people that have supported Minnesota soccer and the neighborhood that will now be supporting Minnesota soccer as well. Before we move on, Jay, I just want to ask you, having played in this league, the atmosphere and the fan experience, as Kendra has just alluded to, as a player on the field, people always say the 12th man, it really helps. Psychologically, when you're on the field, what is that feeling like when you've got people chanting your name, pushing the team on through various uh, different songs? It, it must be a fabulous feeling that, that perhaps may very well give you that extra bit of energy. It makes you feel 10 feet tall. I mean, honestly, there's no feeling that can replace it. You, 
you go about your day and when someone gives you a compliment that, you know, kind of boosts your day up, right? And it can sure. turn your day around. Now imagine 19 and a half thousand people chanting your name or exploding when you make a, a big play and, and you're able to give um, people emotion with the the game you love and the only thing you've ever wanted to do, you're able to create that. Uh, it's something so organic, so authentic. It's one of the things I miss most about playing. Um, so when I get a chance to be on the field and see those moments happen, it takes me back to those places in time. And um, it, it's something that you can't understate how important it is. And it's an intimidating place to play. Looking up at the Wonderwall, oh, I would be terrified in a sense, a little bit intimidated to go in and play in that type of atmosphere. And so it's definitely been a home field advantage for Minnesota United, but for the players, it gives you confidence that literally nothing else can replicate in this world. Now, one individual that was a part of Minnesota United for the opening two seasons was a certain Costa Rican international called Francisco Calvo. It became apparent to us as broadcasters just after the game in Toronto that there may very well be an opportunity for a trade to be made. Kendra, I think it's safe to say when the offer came in from Chicago Fire, it was a trade that simply had to be done. Well, and for me, it was about the kind of the leadership qualities that they now had in Ozzy Alonso. And this is not to take anything away from, from Francisco Calvo and what he did for the club 2017 and 2018 and the start of 2019. But you had a couple additions there that were made. Calvo didn't particularly love to play in the left back position. You had Chase Gasper, who would come in as a rookie and kind of into the fray. In the center back role, you had Ike Parra and Michael Boxel now that could step into that role and Brent Coleman coming off the bench. And also Ozzy Alonso, who could wear the captain's armband and really lead. And, and it just was one of those opportunities that as a club, I don't think you could pass up. This was, the writing was kind of on the wall. This was a step in a new direction, not necessarily a better one, but a new direction. And now 2020 hindsight, we can all look back and say it was the right decision at the right time made for the right reasons. And Ozzy Alonso then took on that captain's armband role, took on the full leadership capabilities that we all know he is well and able to do. And then also the the development and the instrumental role that Chase Gasper as a rookie had also played in that left back position. Absolutely. I think there was room for the trade, Jay, because of the emergence of the rookies that Kendra mentioned. Yeah, and, and Chase Gasper really was a, a big reason why. And and I think this was a good trade for, for all parties indeed. I think Calvo went into a system in which um, Chicago plays under Ponovich that he really can thrive in and and he did well and we actually saw when Minnesota United played against Chicago he was one of the best players for Chicago on the day um you know it's it's better for him he, he's a, a player that still has a big career ahead of him he's played in the World Cup with Costa Rica I mean it's a it's a good situation for him it's a good situation for Minnesota United I think all parties benefited from it and um you know happy for him happy for what that led for Minnesota United for all the reasons Kendra said um and for Chase Gasper I think it made her a reality that you could go on in a different direction. Um, and if he doesn't play that well, then maybe that reality isn't realized. And so um, I, I still think Minnesota United are going to need a little bit more depth at that position because if you look at the outside back right now, it, it is Metanera, it is Gasper, and you feel good about those two. Right. You feel really good about those two. But the inevitable international call-ups or injuries – then what? And I think that's the next question. And Minnesota United certainly will be looking to add depth in those positions on both sides during this transfer window. I think they will add depth during this window for sure. But should they not? Asani Dalton's not a bad answer at left back either. <laughs> He's not. I mean, I think we all know that ultimately we want to see him in that holding midfield, central midfield role. But how can you take anything away from what Hassani Dotson has done and why he was in the running for rookie of the year? It wasn't about the goals he scored, which were bangers, as we all promoted. But also just the fact of his versatility, his willingness to learn, his willingness to step into any of those roles, including left back, and really, you know, take that role on and, and do whatever the coaching staff asks and do it really, really well. Another young individual uh, who's not a rookie, um, I think it's safe to say he could probably be best identified as um, a, a sophomore sensation, let's say. Mason Toy, who I think a, a lot of people had a lot of different expectations this particular season. He started the year at Ford Madison on loan, and a lot of people, Jay, thought, right, he may very well spend the season there, and that's good for him. All of a sudden, he was called back, and he went on one heck of a run. Yeah, he did. And, and I've never seen 
I won't say never because that span that, that's a that's too too um, finite of a word. But I, I, it's very hard for me to think of a player that's had a bigger turnaround from the end of one season to the start of the other season. And I don't know if you remember this, Cal. I remember coming in and talking to you during the preseason and saying that um, we talked about Mason Toy at the end of 2018 uh, amongst ourselves, being like, "Hey, this is a guy that." was just ready for the season to kind of be over with. He needed to work on some things in the offseason, kind of clear his head, get back at it in 2019. And we talked about they invited me out to go train with them, probably just to fill numbers before the season started in a kick round. And I remember coming back to you saying, Cal, how surprised are you going to be by this sentence? Mason Toy looks like a completely different player. There was probably a dozen Minnesota United players out there, and he was head and shoulders the best player on the field that day, and he was dang near unstoppable. And you were like, really? Hmm, okay. Well, we'll see if you can put it together, right? Goes to Ford Madison, gets some games. And then he did so well in training and, and started to kind of grow in a little bit of maturation. And this idea that Adrian Heath had of what Mason Toy could be started to come a little bit to fruition. But let's keep in mind, Mason Toy didn't score his first professional goal until the middle of June in the Open Cup. It was an 89th minute winner to complete the comeback against Houston Dynamo down 2-0 at halftime. He scores the third goal in the 89th minute. And then from there, he had this run that was spectacular. That was career changing, career altering. Got him on the radar with the under 23s. Charlie Davies is calling for hearing or not hearing Klinsman. Jeez. <laughs> get, get to 2019. Greg Berhalter to watch. Um, he started going. I, I the, the, the beginning of June, you were like, Mason still hasn't gotten his first goal yet. And then by the end of the summer, you're going, he's the surefire starter for Minnesota United and the future of maybe the 23s as they try to qualify for the Olympics, which they've missed out on now a couple times. And you start to go, could he be a starter in that group? Could he be a starter for Minnesota United going forward? Um, but I think as quickly as that flame kind of sh shined brightly, it also flickered at the end of the season. And I think people need to realize that Mason Toy is still growing in his process. It's not the final version. It's not the completed version. So while we saw so many glimpses over the course of six, eight weeks in the summertime, we've got to also make sure that there's still a lot of steps to be stepped on that staircase to get to the top of it of where he wants to be to where we can say, this is our guy going forward. Because I'm not sure right now he is completely the guy going forward that Minnesota United need. But man, what a transformation he has had in the season now can he continue to build on it? Well, a scorching scoring summer period continued for Mason Toy in Montreal, scoring two goals in a 3-2 win for Minnesota United at the impact. And Adrian Heath, after the game, was very pleased with Mason Toy's developments. You know, we, we've spoke about it the other week about Mason. You know, if the penny drops, he has a lot of tools. Well, on the evidence of tonight, maybe it is starting to drop because, you know, it was great movement for the first one and the second one. Great movement, great first touch, great second touch. So, delighted for the players. I said to the players before the game, I want to be speaking about you after the game, not about the people who are not playing and the people we've left at home. And I couldn't have asked for any more from them. Mason Toy scored two fabulous goals on that particular evening in Montreal. Um, and I think it's safe to say, Kendra, as Jamie said then a lot of eyeballs on the young center forward then as well i think a lot of eyeballs on mason toy and again it was going to be then about how did he react from that pressure because now he had found a little bit of success how would he respond and and we have to remember he's still so young at that moment i mean he came in at 19 in 2018 and then again stayed here during the off season and worked so hard really developed matured quite a bit for me more mentally and emotionally than even physically his game worked with ian fuller day in and day out staying after training doing all the right things had a bit of success how would he continue what kind of climb would he continue and if he has a couple bumps in the road fine he's still young this is about development about maturation i think it shows that there's still other pieces that needed to be added to this puzzle from an attacking standpoint mason toy is not the answer for me at this young age but a good massive addition what this win also told me in Montreal was about the depth of this squad and that the fact that this team could go on the road in a tough part of the season, make all those changes to the lineup, and get the job done under very tough conditions. So Mason Toy, hats off. Adrian Heath gave him the credit there. But also it said a lot about this team for me at that point in the season. Yeah, and the big thing for me about that was basically the, the 
stretch of games Minnesota United were in at that time, it was in the heart of the season. And Minnesota United made, I believe, eight or nine changes to the lineup from the big 3-1 win that they had at home against San Jose. And it was just before the matchup against New Mexico United that they were going to have in the Open Cup. And so Adrian Heath, I think, really identified this as a game in which, okay, he heard in the clip, he said, I want to talk about the players that are here, not about the players who aren't here. Players that weren't there were the likes of Ike Opara and Ozzy Alonso. And there were a few others that he had left behind in Minnesota because he had made wholesale changes to the lineup. And they had an opportunity. I'm talking about the youngsters, the guy who hadn't, guys who hadn't gotten a lot of games at that time to really come in and, and show something to Adrian Heath. Well, Mason Toy was one of those guys. And he had a brace that day. And he was stellar. And Minnesota United, I don't know if you remember this, Kyle, they gave up a goal in the first 30 seconds of that match. Uh, and it was it was one of those that it, it was a recipe for disaster. Eight, nine changes to the lineup on the road, and you've given a goal in the first minute. Then you got the response. Mason Toy equalized, uh, I believe, within the first you know 10 minutes of the game. Then they give up another goal off of a corner kick. And you're going, oh, okay, so all the good work you had kind of gotten back has gone by the wayside again. Then you get the penalty right before half. Um, and then Mason Toy, just after the other side of half, uh, brilliant touch in the box. His first goal, if you remember the way he takes it off the outside of his right thigh, away from the defender, outside of his right foot, takes a little bit of power off of it so it doesn't go up and over the crossbar as Evan Bush is on rushing. Um, that was a class goal. Great ball by Kevin Molino, and then rinse and repeat. Second half, Molino plays the ball in over the top, and Mason Toy's first touch. And if you remember how soft that touch was, something like a my pillow, Cal. It was uh, <laughs> ridiculous. He passes it right into the corner, and um, it was a, it was a huge moment for Mason Toy. It was a huge moment for the depth of this squad, and it really showed that this team was no longer just skin deep, right? Just the one through 11, the one through 14 that maybe expansion teams are just by the way the rules are set up and the way that the league is structured. When you first come into the league, it's very difficult to have actual real depth. But now Minnesota United has built up the roster, both from the top end and the bottom end. And the, they're starting to meet now to where you can make changes like that. You can go on the road and you can walk over with three points. Mason Toy was instrumental to that though on the day. Well, just like Minnesota United, Mason Toy found flavor in this year's Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. The Loons found themselves in the semifinals against Portland Timbers, and then this happened. Opening it up, Clark has to stay on his line. Mason Toy, yeah! He's good! He's real good! He is. He's very, very good. And that was a very good finish, Kindred D. St. Aubin, which I think a lot of people really, really noticed. Well, and I think, again, it just continues on from his progression, from the way he's continued to kind of raise his game to the next level. I mean, we could talk about the Houston game as well on the road, talk about the Montreal game, talk about this U U.S. Open Cup game, talk about LAFC. There's all these moments for me that Mason Toy showed more maturity, not just in his game, but again, mentally, emotionally, really learning his post-game interviews. How about just that? Or being interviewed at training, even after, you know, all the accolades and the attention that he has gotten, his answers, the way he carried himself, all these things to me are part of the full package of Mason Toy kind of coming into his own, really realizing what it means to be a professional. How do you handle that? How do you ha handle success? How do you handle failure? That finish was fantastic in a very important moment for Minnesota United. And again, it's it's exciting to see because he is still so still still so young. I can talk, and um, I just can't wait to see what 2020 brings. 2021, what comes ahead for Mason Toy in this entire club? And I think that's just a glimpse into what we're going to see if he continues on that path. Well, that goal obviously put Minnesota United into their first ever Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup final. And I think it's safe to say then, Jay, well, you tell me if I'm right here, but I certainly felt then when they got to the Open Cup final, they beat LAFC, which we'll get to shortly. There was an expectation shift with Minnesota United because you mentioned earlier on they hadn't dropped out of the top seven all season. Very rarely did they drop out the top four. Was that change in expectation fair? Well, I mean, I think that uh, as the season evolved, um, you started going, okay, now just making the playoffs, we're, we're not content with that because there is that expectation. There was the expectation before just from a simple, this is the barometer set, success right. or not. 
But then you started feeling, well, when you're in the top four, now you're talking home playoff matches. Okay, right? So then, yeah, the expectation does start to rise. Now you're expecting at least one home playoff match, if not more. Then you make a run to the final, and you're getting a chance to lift a trophy. By the way, there are teams in this league that still haven't lifted a trophy. And it's it's impressive to think that Minnesota United, within their first three years of existence, are now playing for one. There's some clubs that still haven't been able to do that. They've been in the league for well over a decade now. So um, Minnesota United's expectations did start to shift. They did start to change. Um, the final is one in which they get, uh, at, within the 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the, the start of the match, uh, Gonzalez Perez gets a fluke goal that deflects off of uh, Chase Gasper. If you just sat there and tried to knock it off of Gasper 100 times over, I don't think he could have done it again. Um, they get a quick-fire second goal, but then the game started to even out a little bit more. Minnesota United uh, get one back just after halftime through Robin Lud, and then they get the red card to Gonzalez Perez, and you start going, man, the chances they had at the end of the game, Minnesota United, to equalize, if one of those drop and this game goes to extra time, and you've got to play 30 minutes, surefire 30 minutes, 11 on 10, I guarantee you Adrian Heath is a lot more comfortable with that situation than Frank DeBoer would have been. Now, it doesn't happen, and Atlanta end up winning um, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, but Minnesota United changed from we just want to make the playoffs through by the end of August. You know, when that match kicks off in the final at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, thinking we felt like maybe we – we're hard done to not get an equalizer, not give ourselves a chance for extra time to maybe go and win a trophy. That's quite the paradigm shift and mentality shift of this group. And so, yeah, to answer your question, expectations did change. When you don't drop above the playoff line the entirety of the year and you get to a cup final and you're in second place on decision day, you know, expectations do change and rightfully so. And now those expectations, I think, are the new standard of this group, and we'll talk about that more in just a bit going forward. But um, it was exciting to watch, and everybody rode the wave just like we did. And we've talked about this podcast 30 minutes ago when we started excited about the first road win and you know optimism and skepticism. Now you're sitting there going, man, we probably should have been lifting a trophy, shouldn't we have been? Yeah, uh, that was the feeling coming out of the game, wasn't it, Kendra? It was, and I think that it just goes to show the momentum that um, can really be had from an experience like that. And to me, it goes again about the veteran leadership of Ike Parr and Ozzy Alonso, players that have been in a situation where they have won and or lost a trophy of some sort in this league. And what that feeling felt like and the fact that they stayed on the field and and watched Atlanta United lift that trophy and just you never want to feel that again. So there's an element to just the expectation, but not only that, the experience of being there, having done it before, and just knowing that next time that opportunity arises, they'll be even better and more well-prepared for it, just mentally, emotionally, physically, tactically, whatever you want to say about that game. It's, it's a positive to have made it to that game, even though you lost it. Well, they didn't win in Atlanta, but they did win at LAFC, and after the game, Adrian Heath said he thought the performance was a joy to behold. I thought the effort and the discipline was as good as you could have ever expected. This is a really tough place to come and play. They move the ball so quick, they get in spots in little dangerous holes. But our, our sort of rear guard and the people in front, I can't, I can't think it could have gone any better than what we planned. You know, we spent a couple of days on working on the shape, trying to deny them space in behind, making them play in front of us. And we absolutely carried it through to a tee. And then when we needed it, Vito came up with a couple of big saves, which we knew we were going to have to have. But overall, magnificent night for the players. Rightly or wrongly, I think that's when people really started to notice Minnesota United, Jay, because Adrian Heath, in my opinion there, you've said this before and I completely agree, he set the blueprint on how to win at Bank of California Stadium and they executed the plan supremely well. And you're crazy if you don't think that Brian Schmetzer and his staff, as we're recording this is the day after, the morning after, Seattle Sounders knocked out LAFC in the Western Conference Finals to book their place in the MLS Cup. You're crazy if you don't think that they watched what Minnesota United did to figure out how they did it. And keep in mind, Portland Timbers did it as well in the Open Cup, the matchup before they played Minnesota United uh, in the semifinals. There's a way in which you can beat LAFC on the road, um, and it's difficult, it's tough. It's not pretty necessarily at all times, but there is sort of a blueprint. It wasn't completed when Minnesota United went into Bank of California Stadium and got the first win of the season, the only win 
on the road for an opposing team at Bank of California Stadium during the course of the regular season because of the way they set and absorb pressure, attacked spaces that were left when LAFC got too many numbers high on the outsides uh, from the outside back position. And I think that now LAFC is going to have to adapt because I think the last month of the season, LAFC really struggled, which is funny to say because they set every sort of record, and rightfully so. They're one of the best regular season teams. They are the best regular season team MLS has ever seen. But yet they got stifled at the end of the season because teams realized it's like going into the ring with Mike Tyson. Nobody wants to stand there and start throwing punch for punch with Mike Tyson, but you figure out a way in which you can start to bob and weave a little bit, move around, not sit there and go toe-to-toe. It's a backhanded compliment of sorts, and Minnesota United helps other teams afterwards, after that win on September 1st, figure it out, culminating in LAFC season ending at home with Seattle doing a lot of similar things that Adrian Heath implemented on that night. Most impressive away victory of the season? A hundred percent, in my opinion. I think there are different moments in the season that different results meant different things because of the point in the season they were at, because maybe you're coming back from international duty. Maybe you, you know, I think the Vancouver away win may be one of the most important because it was the first one to start 2019. And then getting a result at Portland late in the season, even though it was a draw, it was a point, that was an important result. So the LAFC, because it was LAFC and because you had a very different formation, a different tactical approach, and because Mason Toy did what you needed him to do at that moment and finished his opportunities, even though he was pretty much on an island, he had these beautiful finishes, rightly so, goes into 23s the next the next day, basically. I just think that this was really important um, at that moment in time. But you know what's crazy to me? And I, I don't, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but then to go on the road, your next road game and lose the way you did at Houston, it felt like all this national attention you were getting for that LAFC win and what you did there, then to follow it up with a road loss at Houston, the way you lost there, those are the learning curves for Minnesota United in just their third season. How do you string it together on a consistent basis at home, on the road, to get the job done, beat the teams you're supposed to beat? And again, it's just part of the process for Minnesota United as they continue and, and evolve and continue to grow in just their third season. Well, let me take you to late September. Minnesota United hosted Sporting Kansas City in a game in which they knew if they were victorious, the postseason would be confirmed. So it's late in the game, and the ball finds its way to the edge of the penalty area. And this happened. Dotson inside. Alonso. Touched inside. Hassani Dotson! And history was made, the postseason was confirmed, and it felt, Jamie, like a tremendous amount of weight had been lifting off of the shoulders of Minnesota United. Yeah, first of all, great call. Thank you. You captured that very <laughs> well. Uh, an exciting moment. Um, the last two seasons, Minnesota United were happy to be in playoff contention going into October. This was a playoff clinching win with a week to go in September. So, I mean, I think it really showed where Minnesota United were and it was, I was almost business as usual the next day as they went about their business. So it was, it was a huge moment for the club. You put that up there with the Ozzy Alonzo goal. You put that up there with Christian Mira's first goal in major league soccer. Some of the key moments around the, uh, the course of the three years that Minnesota United have been in major league soccer, but that certainly will be one you kind of put on the Mount Rushmore of important goals for Minnesota United. And, uh, that call never gets old to hear, pal. That was a good one. Well, it, it's it, it's almost a symbolic moment, really, isn't it, Kendra, in the history of Minnesotan soccer? It was, and I just remember that moment and thinking back to the whole play, how it developed and the give and go and the, this everything about that play, it felt like it happened right. And, and yes, it took a deflection on the way through. It wasn't the most beautiful, powerful finish, but it was just the whole, as you said, the weight lifted off the shoulder, the pressure, the winning at home in front of the Wonder Wall, clinching the postseason because everybody knew that that was the expectation as the season had gone on. It felt more real and more realistic, and it felt like if you didn't clinch it, then... You know, and especially doing it at home, there's something about 
giving that back to the fans, giving that back to the supporters, giving that back to Minnesota soccer in the state of, of people that have supported this team for so long, getting it done in that moment at that time. And it was, it, what a fantastic moment and the energy and the elation and um, the stadium just absolutely going crazy. It was a sight to behold. And one of those, you could have just sat there and listened to that crowd for, for hours because they just, they lit the place on fire. Well, because of that result and various other uh, wins and losses going the way they did on the final day of the regular season, it meant Minnesota United finished fourth in the Western Conference, thus meaning they would host the fifth-placed LA Galaxy. Now, let's talk about this game briefly, shall we, because we've got some Twitter questions coming our way, and uh, we need to talk about the off-season needs for this side as well. But I, I think it's safe to say, Jamie, in that 90 minutes, it's obvious what the off-season need is for Minnesota United. Your thoughts on that defeat to LA? galaxy uh yeah i mean clearly we, we've talked enough about mason toy and the big steps he took forward but the the big scheme of things was minnesota united had a 20 year old center forward who had six goals to his name uh in league play going up against four center backs on the day um off the bench in that role in that game in particular starting the match was angelo rodriguez who only had five goals you know and as a a 30-year-old center forward that really likes to hold up play and didn't get the goals you wanted. For me, there's this big gap. And right now, you've got a young, a promising youngster that had a down portion at the end of the season. So it was a better option to have him come in off the bench on the night based on his form. And Angelo Rodriguez, who had found a little bit more of that form and was involving some of the players in behind, I think the combination of Angelo Rodriguez being able to hold the ball up um, against four center backs on the night, and you get your three players in behind running against um, that back line that was very stagnant, that wasn't had no interest in going forward on the day. I think uh, it was the right choice to go with Angelo Rodriguez on the day, but having said that, I don't think that Minnesota United will be comfortable going forward knowing that that's the max that they have at the center forward position going into playoff matches. They're going to want more than that. And I think that it did show on the day that even when Angelo started and then Angelo came off and, and Mason Toy was able to, uh, to come into the game, I don't really think that there was a moment in which um, you felt as though surely these guys are the ones that are going to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, Angelo had a couple of very good chances in the first half, mind you. 0-0, zero, zero, ball flashes across. Uh, the face of the 18 doesn't get a foot on it. Another opportunity a couple minutes after that. And uh, you just felt that you needed more from your number nine. And I think certainly it's safe to say that that's one of the big, big areas of need for Minnesota United. And it was emphasized in that matchup when LA Galaxy, their back five, when they throw in Perry Kitchen in front of the four center backs that were playing on the day, had no desire to go forward and just try to make it as ugly as possible. And they did, and it worked. Chances were created, Kendra, but they weren't converted. Yeah, and I think it's just the pressure of the moment being able to finish and execute. And not I'm not saying pressure of the moment because it's the playoff game. I'm just saying at a professional level in MLS, being able to finish the chances that you should finish, we all understand that you're not going to finish, you know, I, I don't know, maybe what, not, one, I don't even know what the rate is. I mean, I'm trying to compare it to like a baseball player almost, but what the rate is and what it should be for chances that you, big chances that you are given and that you don't execute on. So there are certain times when you have players that are in those positions that have got to be able to bury them. Sometimes it feels harder to miss than it is to make. Robin Lewitt had a perfect example early on in the game as well, where it's almost harder to go over the net than it is to put it in the back of the net. So just certain times, and they need someone that they can count on to come in and rely on and nine times out of 10, maybe seven times out of 10, bury those opportunities, those big chances that the team starting from the back to the midfield, to the front, across coming in, whatever it might be off a corner kick off a set piece, finish your opportunities that you're given. And again, yes, you can absolutely bring in another, you know, a, a, a number nine, a, a mature high price number nine to help, but you also have to continue to develop young players. And I think a player that everyone would agree that didn't take the path that everyone thought he may have would be Abu Dunlati. Mm. You know, a player like that, the number one overall draft pick in 2017 and um, injuries hampered it for sure. But, you know, how do you develop players that you acquire that are younger as well as bring in the talented older pieces that are maybe a little bit more mature and proven and um, it's number nine is absolute need for Minnesota United going forward. Yeah, I think we're all 
agreeing there, aren't we, that a, a goal-scoring centre-forward is the main need for Minnesota United this off-season. And we'll see if they address it. I'm sure they will. It's going to be an intriguing off-season. Uh, what we'll do now is we'll go to Twitter. Uh, thanks to all of you for giving us uh, some of your questions. Um, we'll have time for a couple of them. We'll start here. Uh, Jesse Harrodson, thank you very much. She says, uh, absolutely loved having Vito in goal this year. First of all, what chance do we have of having him back? And if he goes, is Dane St. Clair ready to take the reins, Jamie? Well, one, first of all, it's not necessarily completely Minnesota United's decision. Right. <laughs> so he was a lone player um, from, from Reading who came over and did well. I think he was um, only the second ever European goalkeeper to win goalkeeper of the year in Major League Soccer. Um, did a great job this season, played every minute of every game, which shows durability. It shows reliability. Um, we sang his praises earlier with the fact that he was he made the saves he needed to. He helped win you points at times, like you think of the penalty save against FC Dallas. 11 shutouts in 34 games, one out of every, every three is a standard setter. I mean, it's almost like a goal scorer scoring one out of every two. If you can make those marks, shut out one every three, happy days. You're going to be more than pleased with that. Um, look, I, I think the biggest thing is, is, is Vito Minone is going to be an interesting decision based on the fact of what is the salary number that Vito Minone wants. And he's been playing in Europe. He's been playing at some very big teams, Arsenal, uh, Reading, Sunderland, where they pay pretty well. Even if you are a goalkeeper that can be um, loaned out, you're still making a lot of money. And, and I think when you looked at the, the salary sheets that come out, those aren't 100% accurate. They are very good representations. There are some other factors that don't quite work themselves in there. But I believe the highest paid goalkeeper in the league was Brad Guzan at $700,000. That's money that pushes you into TAM level and to DP level, you know, type money, depending on how much more than that, the goalkeeper of the year, Vito Minone might want or might ask for. Look, it's, it's a lot of money to, to invest in. And is there a need elsewhere? Can there be other options that you can bring in at a smaller number that helps you divest some of that money across the team? I'm not saying Vito's not worth it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this decision will be based on one, is he available? That's first and foremost. Mm -hmm. You could be ready to pay him however much you want. If Reading doesn't want to let him go, well, too bad. That's the case with anybody in the world. But if they do want to let him go, what's the, the fee they may want for him? What is the number that he's going to want? I think it's going to be a lot more of a decision, not necessarily on is he good enough? He proved that this year. Everybody in the media, the players, the clubs, everybody thought that in the voting, but... How does this deal work out? And is it the best deal for Minnesota United, not just at goalkeeper, but using that money across the entirety of the team to get the collective better? It's going to be a lot more difficult of a decision than people think. It's And it's not just necessarily based on ability because he proved that this year, head and shoulders. And by the way, he was a saint to us. I mean, he, when we lost Jerome Tisson, we wondered who was going to fill that role of being mm. the, the Twin Cities darling and the, the person that kind of uh, was a reliable person that, you know, could come in and, and always um, be the person in the club that you needed, but also away from the club. And Vito was everything above that. I think he's more than proved his you know, weight in gold. But, you know, there's, there's a salary cap driven mindset to this league. And that will certainly play a decision in this. Lovely man. Stunning season and really hope he returns to Minnesota. And uh, I think it's safe to say on the subject of Dane St. Clair, probably a little too early yet. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's fair to say. I mean, it, but, he, but he's given you so many glimpses and signs that he will be a player for the future. And who better to learn from than Vito Manoni? Personally, I hope Vito's back. I just know that that is a part of it. And that is a reality to Major League Soccer. So don't shoot the messenger on that. It's not me saying I don't want him back, but... I don't write the checks. I also think, too, with Dane St. Clair, because I think we all agree on Vito Minone, we all want him back. It's going to be a, a numbers thing and what Redding decides to do and how that issue shakes out. But with Dane St. Clair, you're in an unlucky position as a goalkeeper because you can't just go to Madison and jump into the starting role. It's not like a field player. It's not like Carter Manley. It's not like Wyatt Almsberg where they can plug him in and out and come into training here. I mean, they kept him here because he became the the legit number two after Bobby Shuttleworth went to Sac Republic. But also, like, he's lacking that game experience. So you want him to train here during the week, but then go and play games. And right now, with the way Madison works and being a goalkeeper, it's a tougher sell for Madison to be like, oh, yeah, Dane, come on over here and be our starting goalkeeper on the weekend. So 
for Dane, I want what is best for him because I think he is a fantastic talent, another great kid. But what is it going to mean for his development um, to stay here and just be the number two and train and and not be getting game minutes? So it, it's an interesting um, dilemma for them with him as well because I think he he's absolutely a future starting goalkeeper in MLS, no doubt in my mind. Uh, Kendra, this question comes from Graham Graham Gilson on Twitter. He says, uh, do you think we see Robin Lerd as a locked-in starter next season? If so, what is a reasonable expectation for Lerd's production next year? Well, first of all, I think, yes, you'll see him as a locked-in starter um, for Minnesota United. And I think that people were disappointed in his production and or his ability in the games. But I will say that I was I was pleased with what he was able to give Minnesota. Did he have chances he missed? Absolutely. Easy ones that you would think nine times out of ten, he should be able to finish it, bury it, tap it in, whatever. But let's not underestimate the difficulty of coming over in the middle of the season, and then he was going back and forth with international duty and then stepping in and playing almost immediately when he was returning from those long trips and those long flights. I do think that he has a calmness on the ball and a reading of the game that I really, truly appreciate in that role. And he just has to find a way to see how he fits in the puzzle with the pieces around him and develop that chemistry continue. I mean, he had a rotating striker in front of him, whether it was Angelo or whether it was Macing, a, a rotating number 10. Sometimes it was Darwin. Sometimes it's Kevin Molino. Sometimes so I think when there's more consistency and he can develop some chemistry, I think that um, Robin Lode will be a starting piece on this Minnesota United lineup. And I think people will be happy with his production next year, whether it's on the score sheet or whether it's just what he's contributing in that role on the wing or tucking inside. Jeremy, final question from Twitter. This one comes from Nicholas Bisbee saying, where do we see Thomas Chacon fitting in and his contribution to the team next season? Well, first of all, Nick, we miss you. Uh, here in the Twin Cities, and my haircut has never been the same since he left. Uh, the true leader of uh, True North Elite back in the days when it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't massive numbers the way it is now. I was legitimately actually scared of Nick Bisbee for a while. He had this <laughs> scary sense about him when he was supporting the club. Um, come to find out, he's one of like the gentlest giants you've ever met. Um, I can tell you this from the past three weeks of watching training and and. Even I'd say maybe the last four or five weeks of training, Thomas Chacon has been stellar in training. And he is a player that I think has an immense upside. Minnesota United saw early on what I think a lot of us hadn't necessarily gotten to see full go yet. They saw a player that if you would have waited to sign him, the signing on fee that they got him for would have been exponentially higher. So they knew they had to get in early. Now he just turned 19 in the middle of August, I believe. And he is a player that will start to grow much like Robin Lloyd as he adapts to living in a different country, living in a different place, getting more familiarity with the group around him. I think next year, I don't think it's crazy to think that you might see him upwards of more than half the games, whether that's starting, whether that's uh, coming off the bench as a 19 year old in this league where there's probably the most depth in that band underneath the center forward in the four, two, three, one, um, where there's, Obviously, a ton of talented players in Minnesota United will probably target another player or two to add in that position because there are the three interchanging positions underneath the center forward in Adrian Heath's system. But I think uh, I think Chacon will find a way to be a part of the team and the game day roster for a vast majority of it, and he has looked very, very good as of late. The more he adapts to style of play in the U.S., the way of life here in the U.S., He'll adapt to the system Adrian Heath has implemented here and has really made a staple of this club. And I think there'll be a big step forward next year. But having said that, if he doesn't go light it up and score 10 goals next season, it is still not a failure. It is still a work in progress for a kid that is only 19 years old and is going to be putting pieces of the puzzle together to get the complete picture of him that I don't think we'll see for another two or three years fully. Intriguing stuff. Okay, before we wrap things up here, guys, uh, I'll start with you, Kendra. Just uh, your overall thoughts on the 2019 campaign for Minnesota United. I think that it exceeded my expectation. I think not just making the playoffs, that was my expectation, but the way they went about it, the way the season, the ups and the downs, the growth that this club saw, not just personnel-wise, but staff-wise, and, and just top to bottom, I just thought that there was a constant growth 
an upward trend, even if you took a, a, maybe a half a step backwards on occasion. I just thought everything was really done the right way from top to bottom within this club. And the fan base, the supporters, Allianz Field, making it to the playoffs, hosting a playoff game, everything about the way this 2019 season went for the club, I think was trending in the right positive direction. And you kind of had this weird feeling at the end of, of the game because you were so pleased with how the season went, but yet you're disappointed that you lost in the first round. So it was like this weird dichotomy of emotions. Um, and I, now the the bar has been raised once again, but hosting a home playoff game in your third year of existence, I think it's, it's pretty incredible. And But now the bar has been raised, and they say that themselves. The club, the sporting staff, everybody says the same thing. So let's see what 2019 brings for this club. Well, with all of that in mind, a very exciting year ahead for Minnesota United in 2020, Jeremy. Yeah, definitely. And Cal, I want to get your thoughts. You're not going to get off the hook with this. So at the end of my thoughts, I want to get yours on this. I think it summed up very easily. 2019, you sit above the playoff line the entirety of the year. You got to the Open Cup final. You were second place on decision day. You were able to host a playoff match. All when the expectations were, if you get into the playoffs at sixth or seventh, it's it's good. It far exceeded the expectations everybody had. There is now a new standard that has been set when it started with the acquisitions of the players in the offseason, both from the draft, but also the five players that started throughout the year. The transfer window bar has been raised. The regular season expectations have been raised. The Open Cup expectations have been raised. The playoff expectations have been raised. There is a new standard now for Minnesota United that has been set, and they are standards that we haven't seen yet at this club, but now think we started to see the bare minimums have been raised and they should be across the board so you should expect 2020 to pick up where the club left off and to continue to take those steps going forward to now push themselves to be one of the consistent playoff teams and now push into being hopefully one of the more elite teams within the league completely agree the club elevated itself in 2019 and 2020 will be very, very exciting indeed. Cal, you've got to give your thoughts. I told you you weren't getting off with it. So your thoughts on 2019 and going forward for 2020. Well, as I said, the club pushed themselves to new heights and they gave themselves a real opportunity in 2020. I think they made themselves um, a lot more attractive because of the style they play, because of the players they brought in and because of the fan base in Allianz Field opening up. I think they became one of the pristine clubs and uh, potential premier clubs in Major League Soccer. Um, I think 2020 could very well be a watershed year for Minnesota United. It's either going to go one way or the other. I get the feeling it's going to go the way we all want it to, but no doubt 2020 is going to be a staggering season and very, very exciting. Lots to look forward to in 2020 for Minnesota United. Oh, right then, let's take a big breath, shall we? We've done it. That's it. Um, Thank you, guys. It's been fabulous. Uh, 2019 was a joy, a pleasure, a thrill. Uh, so for one last time, my thanks, as always, to Kindred E. St. Aubin, to Jamie Watson and our producer, Morgan Lubin. And thank you for joining us throughout the season. As always, you've been listening to a Minnesota United production.